Very good. Uh, what I'd like for you to, us to do today is wrap up our discussion of the canon of the New Testament, and then we will go actually looking at, at scriptures themselves. Uh, there should be some sheets at the back. Are there any on the back table? If not, we can always print more or, uh, um, or have a couple of people share um, if you didn't get a sheet. So what I'd like to do is, uh, first of all, are there any questions from last week discussing the canon of the New Testament? In other words, can we be sure that this is the word of God? Yes. Yes, we can. Uh, do we put outside criteria that we develop on the canon? No. The canon is self-authenticating. The church never went about deciding, oh, we're going to decide what is the word of God, but rather they received the word of God just as we saw receiving the Old Testament as the word of God. These are what we call the, 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 the Old Testament, those 39 books. Okay. So I'm going to run through kind of a, a chronology of how the New Testament developed, bearing in mind that there is already a canon in the New, for the New Testament church. It's called the Old Testament. Okay? And, and they already have the, these books, and you see them frequently quoted in the New Testament. Isaiah, Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Psalms, uh, De, um, uh, Jeremiah, Micah. Uh, so many books of the Old Testament are quoted. So... Our Lord Jesus is the Word. He's the Word incarnate, John 1, and he spoke the Word. Jesus selects apostles. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance his Word. It's very important. The Holy Spirit will inspire the authors of scriptures. The apostles proclaim Christ's Word as his official ambassadors. The apostles and those near the apostles, in other words, for example, like Mark and Luke, wrote the what the Holy Spirit wanted written. The apostles and those near the apostles understood they were writing the word of God. You look at the introduction of the epistles, you look at John 21, 24, the introductions to Luke, Mark 1, 1, and um, 1 Corinthians 7, 12, and, and 25. In other words, they, they were aware that they are giving the word of God in these epistles and in these gospels as well as the book of Acts, etc., like this. So the church received the written word as the word of God. We know from very early, we see, for example, at the end of 2 Peter, that they already regarded Paul's writings as scriptures. Okay? So it's internal evidence that of New Testament books, recognizing other books as canon. 1 Timothy 5, 18 and 2 Peter 3, Verse 15, I just quoted 2 Peter. The 1 Timothy 5.18 is a very interesting passage. 1 Timothy 5.18, it's Paul, Paul's epistle. In 1 Timothy 5.18, um, he says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. That second quote, the laborer deserves his wages, is not an Old Testament quote, but it's rather the words of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. Now this does not necessarily mean that Luke was written prior to 1 Timothy. It's entirely possible that it is. But we also know that they knew the sayings of, of Jesus. So in other words, what was already being said in the church is already scripture and it comes from outside the Old Testament. Okay. 
The book of Revelation has blessings and curses on those adding or subtracting from the word. Remember we talked about the, the, the covenant treaty form that we saw? In other words, that, that, you're, um, that the, the Lord makes with those underneath him. The Lord promises, there's blessings and curses. There's a written deposit and there's a blessing and curse if you add to or take from the word. And you see this in the very last book of the Bible. And then after these books are written down, the apostolic fathers quote the New Testament books as the word of God alongside the Old Testament. Apostolic, for example, we have books like First uh, Clement, okay, Clement of Alexandria. We have Irenaeus. We also have Polycarp or Smyrna. Uh, these are, are books shortened, sh written shortly after the New Testament, quoting New Testament passages as the Word of God already. So within you know, 20, 30 years of the writing of the New Testament, we already see it's being circulated and quoted in Scripture, you know, in these other books. Not as, these books are not Scripture, but in these other books, like First Clement, they're quoting these New Testament books. Okay? There's early indications of New Testament books being collected together. In other words, it just isn't the Gospel of Mar Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John. But very early on, they collected four Gospels together. They collected the Catholic epistles together. They collected the books of Paul together. So we see these early collections. Now, this is important. The New Testament manuscripts are written in codices, not as scrolls indicating collections were made early. In other words, they are aware that this group of books are scriptures together just as the group of books that we call the Old Testament are scriptures together. Does this make sense? So, so we see these early collections already being gathered. The core of the New Testament is, is very early. And by the way, we'll talk about this in a few minutes. You know, you've heard maybe that some books were spoken against in the early church. True. But if you think about the geography, the geography of from all the way from Egypt and Syria to Asia Minor, to Macedonia, to Greece, to Italy, to Spain, um, to Gaul, which is modern-day France. It's a large geographic area, so it should not surprise us that various books were not circulated as much every area of the, of the New Testament world. Does that make sense? And so, so the good news is, it's almost automatic that 22 of the 27 are just accepted as, as scripture. And it's just, it's almost no, um, and this is so very early on. There are other books written. Now, this next point is important because in the divine service, they would read sometimes other books, but they didn't regard them as scripture. For example, there's a book called Shepherd of Hermas, very popular book. But they did not, they understood it was not scriptural because it's written late. It was not written during the apostolic era, so therefore it was not regarded as scripture. But yet they read it in church. Uh, sometimes, for example, in our divine service, we will read the small catechism. How many of you recognize the small catechism as one of the books of the Bible, scripture? No, we don't. But is it profitable? Yes, it is. So it's very appropriate to read the catechism, just like back then they might have read other books. However, they knew what was scripture, what was not. Okay. So, okay. Now, but at this time, they don't have like a list of here's the books of the New Testament. Okay. And they, they, 
Um, but they're already having these collections. So don't think that my next statement is now, now the church is thinking in terms of canon. Remember we talked about last week, there's three different uses of the word canon. For, exa- for example, you know, fourth century, this is the canon, these 27 books. But already earlier, they were already practical canon. In other words, reading in scripture at, in church, right? And reading and quoting it in books. And then the, the, the earliest level canon is when John actually wrote his gospel, when Paul actually wrote Ephesians, when you know, Luke actually wrote the book of Acts. When they put the pen to the paper, that is canon, okay? Then the canon develops as it's being read, and then it's formalized in the fourth century. The, the process of formalization does not really start until in the church, there's a heretic, well, I shouldn't even call him in the church because he's a heretic, named Marcion. He tossed out the entire Old Testament Anything that he thought was too dependent on the Old Testament, he tossed out of what we call the New Testament. And so the early church responded and said, no, here's a list of, of our books. And we have something called the Muratonian uh, Fragment. And then, but it's, it's called, notice the name, Muratonian Fragment. It's not complete. So just because not all the books of the New Testament are in, in that doesn't mean they weren't being accepted, okay? And we'll talk about that just a little bit later on. There are some books in the history of the church that were not accepted by everyone, okay? Uh, for example, uh, James, 2 Peter, 2 3rd John, and Jude. These are the books that are most often, you know, spoken and hesitant about being accepted. Um, if you look at the size of them, 2 Peter, 2 3rd John, um, and Jude, they're, um, they're, they're small. If you're small, there's not much in them, it's less likely to be quoted in, in, in Apostolic Fathers. Perhaps the reason James was not accepted by son was a lack of direct references to early church fathers. James is not quoted as often in these books, for example, like First Clement, as say the Gospels or Paul's writings. Jude does quote from the Apocrypha Enoch and was not quoted much due to its size, but there's great attestation the book that, that's probably the, the, the one book of the New Testament that, 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 um, that, was, that took kind of the longest to be accepted among the 27 was Second Peter. However, um, it, and the first to mention it by name is a guy named Origen, but he's not the one who originated that Second Peter is, is part of the Bible. We have more attestation for Second Peter the least attested of the 27 books than we do for any of the books that did not make it into the New Testament. Because every once in a while, have you, how many of you have ever heard something called the Gospel of Thomas? Ever heard about the Gospel of Thomas, okay? Well, okay, Second Peter, uh, the Gospel of Thomas, is, everyone understood that was not biblical. That's not scripture. Second Peter, though, is, is widely tested. There's actually a couple other books, like Shepherd of Hermas, and some of it that were in a few of the lists. But Second Peter is much more widely tested than, than they are. Okay, now there's two other books I want to comment on. Hebrews was quite often in the early church attributed to the Apostle Paul. But it's evident, if you look at the book of Hebrews, that it's not written by, by Paul. And so there were some people that, that because of the, they did not know the authorship, they, they were a little bit hesitant about Hebrews, but also there's a passage in Hebrews 6 that talks about if you sin, then you can't repent. 
How many of you remember reading this passage? It's a difficult passage, and, and for that reason, some didn't like the book. However, we don't judge a book by passage, but rather we try to figure out the passage. So Hebrews became quickly, and Hebrews was already very much accepted. And then Revelation, later on in church history, some people said, I don't know about Revelation, not because of a lack of apostolicity, but rather because it's strange. And we don't know how to deal with strange things. Okay, but, but Hebrews and James would have been part of that core 22, and the other books, there's really no real problem with them at all. I'm going to talk a little bit about the book of James. Uh, how many of you are aware that, that Martin Luther called the book of James a straw epistle? Anyone ever heard that? He called James a straw epistle. However, that was how Martin Luther viewed the use of James in terms of, if you look, scan of all Luther's writings, he is not questioning, and you see it in the, in the, in the German Bible that he translates, right? So Luther's not questioning whether or not it should be part of Scripture, just, just how do you use it? Oh, by the way, did, did anyone missing a sheet? If you're missing a sheet, raise your hand and we'll get you a, another sheet. Um, there's probably an extra one somewhere. Okay, so, so anyway, so, so Martin Luther, Martin Luther, his problems with James are, are, are kind of time-focused because he was, obviously speaking, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and some of his Roman Catholic opponents were quoting James, faith without works is dead, right? And so Luther became naturally averse because of their use of James, but we see that Luther, throughout his, his entirety of his writings, quotes James extensively. And so, and so, so do not take Luther's statement about James to mean that he did not place it as canonical, but rather just, how do I use it? Luther is not comfortable using it. Um, there's a marvelous new commentary by CPH showing how we, as Lutherans, can be very comfortable using the book of James. Okay, so um, already by 250 AD, I'm gonna have a quote for you in just a second. Um, we see 27 books being listed. That's really early, if you consider the geography, like I said earlier. And then um, by the fourth century, I'm gonna, I'll, I have the quote from, uh, from Athanasius' festal lad, uh, letter showing the 27 books of the New Testament. There's no question what is the canon in the New Testament. Um, my last point though, this is important. There was never a big council to throw out a bunch of books. The process was decidedly low key, just like the Old Testament process of the canon. The loving and gracious Lord made sure his people had his sure word, and the people of God were sure that they had his holy word. In other words, this is not some sort of process where people, oh, no, 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 we can't have this book, you know. No, they knew what was the word of God, and they received it. And, and it's a self-authenticating canon as opposed to the church placing its own criteria upon the canon. So. And so this whole process is rather low-key. It's not some sort of drama, actually, like you know, you'd have with uh, this notorious author, Dan Brown, and, and, and others who are of more scholarly bent than Dan Brown. Okay. Questions or comments about how we got our New Testament? And, and I do this not because I think, when I, when I step in the Bible class of Bethany Lutheran Church, I'm stepping in a bunch of people that, that, for the most part, have never doubted whether or not, when they read the Gospel of Matthew, whether or not this is the words of Jesus, right? 
or when you read the book of Acts, whether or not Peter actually spoke the sermon on Pentecost, or whether or not, when you read the book of James, whether or not this should be in the Bible. You're not doubting that. I just do this because you hear this in the outside world, and we do not have to be intellectually shy. In fact, those who oppose us, and it's been shown that those who oppose the canon really are doing it for their own reasons, because they basically start as skeptics towards Christianity and the Word of God. And we know what the Word of God is. My sheep hear my voice. Uh, that's what our Lord says, and I give and I speak to them. Yes, Keith, go ahead. So, why, why is my uh, first, second, third John? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So why separate why separate that into three different Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, there are three separate letters. There are three separate letters addressed three different occasions. And I you know, and my knowledge of, of the of of second, third John and is very limited. I taught I taught a Bible class about it about, you know, ten, twelve years ago. But my knowledge of Second, Third John is really, really. But there's different audiences, and and now it's interesting that Jude and James are half brothers of Jesus, and so there's their context right, right there. And James actually is the leader of the New Testament church. If you remember in Acts 15, there's this big council, very important council about whether or not essentially the issue is we got Gentiles now believe in Jesus. Should they? become Jews, since Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and the council says, no, the head of that council is not Peter, it's not John, can't be, can't be James the apostle, because he's already dead. But James, the half-brother of our Lord, is the head of the church at that time in Jerusalem. Okay, so it's just kind of interesting from Scripture. Okay. Um, no, any other questions or comments about the canon or anything like this? Uh, um, by the way, I am deeply indebted. Um, again, a, a website, if you want to find tons of little articles, a lot of them are little snippet articles, it's called Canon Fodder. Canon Fodder, C-A-N-O-N, Fodder. And so uh, that's, uh, it's a great little guy named Michael Kruger. He's a president of the Evangelical Seminary, but he wrote, he's written more books, but I just finished reading this book, Canon Revisited, and he... Uh, it's, it's a, it, it, a little bit of a deep dive because part of this, what we're doing right now, is, is it's also some, some philosophical points, but he also gets deep into the history, and so he writes individual articles. And what I have now is I'm going to quote to you. Um, I'm not going to quote to you because I don't want to take the time, okay? Um, or do you want me to take the time to read Origen's letter of the 27 and... and I don't want to do it, so, so I, if you want me to, you can read it on your own, right? Read it on your own. So, um, so, so but, but the important thing about Origen's letters, look at the date, it's 250 AD. Origen's in Alexandria. By the way, Origen's a fascinating figure in church history. Origen himself is not entirely orthodox as far as an LCMS Lutheran by any means. Um, I, um, I, I took a class on origin in graduate school, and so it's a very interesting guy, but he's a huge church father, very influential. Um, and origin also is martyred for the faith. I do remember reading one of his sermons, and, and he was complaining in the sermon, 
You, you stand at the back of the church and you're talking to each other rather than listening to the sermon. You've got to stop that because the persecution's coming and you're going to fall away from the faith. And of course, persecutions did come. He himself was martyred for the faith and, and many Christians were scattered. But it's interesting reading that little section in there. You stand at the back of the church, you know, talking to each other. It's interesting. And by the way, you know, uh, in the early church, when the, when the church was growing by leaps and bounds, there's only one person who sat. It's a preacher. And he sat for the sermon. The sermon would be probably an hour and a half long. Okay, services were three hours long, pretty much, and everyone stood. Now, they would have benches for, like, the elderly or the infirm, okay? They have, like, little benches off to the side. But, but if you go, even, I, I, I've only been to, I've never gone to Jerusalem attending an Orthodox service, um, and there were no pews at all. Everyone you stood for the entire liturgy and, and, and stuff like this. But uh, it was interesting, so the, you sat, and, um, and everyone else stood, so, Okay. Enough of that. So let's, let's talk a little bit. I, I, what I did is, is Kruger has this marvelous li- list, about 10 misconceptions of the canon by Dr. Michael Kruger. Um, can, the term canon can only refer to a fixed, closed list of books. No, because um, it would also re- refer to those books at, in and of themselves when they were being written. So that's the canon, because Paul actually wrote the canon. So did John, so did Luke, etc. like this. Nothing in early Christianity dictated that there would be a canon. No, they expected that God would give them his word. Just like the people of God in the Old Testament received his word. And you've got this very uh, close parallel between the books of Moses and the Gospels forming the foundation of what we call scriptures. Okay, the New Testament authors did not think they were writing scripture. No, they're very conscious that they're writing the word of God. In fact, they're... I, I didn't quote those passages, but remember Paul in 1 Corinthians makes a special point at a couple points in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where he says, I am speaking to you of my own opinion. He's speaking about whether or not you should marry. Okay, you know, um, he says, this is just my own opinion. He makes it clear this is his own opinion because the rest of 1 Corinthians... If you go back to 1 Corinthians 1, 1, he's speaking as an apostle. This is not my opinion. It is the word of God to you. Okay? So, um, New Testament books were not regarded as scriptural until around 200 AD. No. No, we, we, we see quoting scriptures. We even see, like I said, in 2 Peter, we see this quote in 1 Timothy. In other words, there's, there's New Testament books. They, were, they knew that this was the word of God before 200 AD. Early Christians disagreed widely over the books which made in the canon. The, the, given ancient communication, it is an amazing fact that 22 out of the 27 were universally accepted. This is, this is, we should praise God for this rather than thinking, oh no, we can't trust the Bible. This is craziness. We, we are so blessed to have, have these books. In early stages, apocryphal books were as popular as canonical books. No. Thomas was never, and then there's other books like Shepherd of Hermas and, and other books. I, and those are really two different categories. Shepherd of Hermas was from Orthodox Christian circles. The Gospel of Thomas was from something called Gnostic circles. They weren't Orthodox. They didn't want any part of the main part of the church. So why should we regard their books on the same level? This is just an attempt by modern skeptics, such as the Jesus Seminar, to try to deceive the church. Okay, so... Christians had no basis to distinguish heresy from orthodoxy until the 4th century. No. 
my sheep hear my voice. They knew what was the word of God. Look at, and look at Paul's uh, argumentation, for example, in Colossians and 1 Corinthians. We're going to talk about this next week in the sermon for uh, at least... Maybe, I have no idea, I'm preaching next week, but I'm already toying with, with what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. They knew what heresy was and they addressed it. Okay, early Christianity was an oral religion, therefore would have resisted writing things down. Now there's a certain truth to this, that it is an oral religion. For the most part, you didn't own books. Why? They're expensive. They're very expensive. Now, this is not to say that, that there was not a, a great de degree of literacy, but you would have read books together. Not, you wouldn't have had a library in your home, whether it's being read or gathering dust. I mean, it's just, you wouldn't, that, the, the idea of books in your home, now, now, it's, uh, now it's something. You can go to used bookstores and buy, buy great books for nothing, right? You know, or even better, is people are giving away books. You know, these it's a great wisdom. You know, uh, you know, pastor and I have in our libraries books that we accumulated from retired pastors, et cetera, like this. I can see some names in my some of my books. You know, great, great names. You know, that somehow or another, their book ended up in my library. Um, so, so they they would. It's it's more than oral religion, um, and and it, they they would have written things down. The canonical Gospels were certainly not written by individuals named in their titles. No, they would have rejected them. If, if John does not write the Gospel of John, it would not have been accepted. If Matthew does not write his book, they knew that Mark was the associate of Peter, and Luke is very careful to write down, he's writing his account, but we also know from the book of Acts that Luke is a close associate of who? Paul, right? So, so and there's much more to be said about that, but I haven't read it you know i mean there's the amount of stuff i have not read in the canon would stagger the imagination um and then uh, athanasius festival ever it's the first complete list in the new testament books um and i i should that's a bad sentence right there oh no that's his sentence is um that's a oh, no that's a myth isn't it? a misconception because we have origins list 130 years earlier okay 125 years earlier okay so um questions comments Okay. Yes, go ahead. Yes. Ah, yes, yes, thank you. It'd be like a book form. It'd be like a book. It's something like bound together. It's called a codex, you know, and codices are the plural of that codex. And so you have, for example, this, this great thing, for example, in New Testament studies, because these codexes, many of them didn't survive as a unit, but we have, for example, something called the Codex Vaticanus. Down in the Vatican. Codex Synodicus, you know, these great things that have been helpful for textual criticism. So it's like a book bound together. But normally, all other documents were scrolls. So why is the church putting these things on codexes? Because they can form larger collections using this rare form of collections. As unique for the church, we were early to the, to the codex game, so to speak. And so we put this codex, so like a book. It's like a book. Book of Paul's writings. So you gather, they would have included Hebrews in this. So you have 14 books together, and you would have had four Gospels together. Very early, they're doing this. And, and not all of them are complete, but we think you know, that the pages missing would be you know, certain epistles of Paul or maybe one of the Gospels in, in, in some of the incomplete codices. So, great question. And, and what, by the way, there is no such thing as a bad question. 
Okay? You know, A, I talk quickly. B, I can use vocabulary that is not familiar to the layman. And C, I, I might not have be explaining things clearly. So please, ask questions. It's, it, this, is a, this is your class, not mine. Okay? Speaking of which, we're now at a little, little point. Um, I had thought of going, because we're going to talk about the background, because like, the Apostle Paul goes to Athens. He, he preaches the, the, the Sermon of Areopagus. He sees a statue to an unknown god. Um, what was the religious background of the pagans at that time in the New Testament? You know, this, this thing. Why would the Corinthians doubt the resurrection? You know, what's going on philosophically? What, what's going on? I do want to go into those things. However, I said I'd like to start closer to home. I'd like to start with the Gospels themselves and talk about the Gospels. But this class is called, and I have a few more weeks, um, two weeks from now, Pastor Melius is going to be leading it, so I have this week, next week, probably two weeks after that. So what are some questions you want answered about the background to the New Testament so that you would read the New Testament in, in, a, in a more coherent way so and understand the very word of God given to you in these 27 books? How can I help you? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your question is actually much harder than you think. I mean, because it's, because, I mean, um, if, uh, well, I, I can just tell you, I mean, you know, for example, there, there, there are some books in the New Testament, if I want to, to have a PhD dissertation topic, I just find out what is the intention of, of X, Y. So it's a, um, but, but I, I, I have general thoughts. I'll try to get to that. That, that might be a little bit broader because uh, there's 27 books. But I think I'm probably covering what's the intention of the four Gospels in the next couple of weeks, certainly, and some of the more major epistles of Paul and the general epistles. That might be, a, and, and, and talk a little bit. I think the book of Revelation would be helpful to remember the intention of the book of Revelation. Very helpful also. So good question. Yes, go ahead. So a little bit of biographical information on the disciples, the, 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 the core of the church. And where did these people come from and how did okay. this so okay. 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 Good question. Good question. A big video presentation. Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Um, and this reminds me, I need to... Um, offer again the, the course I, I, I do have, it takes about, and I think about expanding it to maybe two sessions, an hour and a half each, make it three hours, something called Through the Bible, where I go through the books of the Bible, all 66 of them, but also talk about the genres of, of them and talk about 
you know, the, the whole structure of the Old and New Testament through the Bible, which is a little bit different than this course, which is the background of the New Testament. But perhaps I need to offer again. It's been many years. How many of you have, do you remember me even offering this course through the Bible? Okay. Uh, how many of you don't remember me offering this course through the Bible? How many of you didn't raise your hand? <laughs> okay, okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, okay, okay. Um, any other questions before I get into the, the next part of my discussion today? Yes, go ahead, John, go ahead. Yeah, 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 no, 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 that's, 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 not, that's not a Catholic issue. So the question would be whether or not they're, it was not written down because they're afraid of being persecuted. Um, I, that's not, no, they wrote it down for the sake of the church. What did happen, though, is at times of persecution, they had, they were, they, not entirely successful, by the way, but they, had measures in the congregations who is going to stash the scriptures away in other words where do we hide them to keep them from the Roman authorities because the Roman authorities would desecrate them and so um, and so they and so sometimes they sometimes they did were seized and destroyed and so but they 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 wanted to write it down but but now certainly as you're spreading the gospel you know, you would have told things orally, and there would have been oral traditions going along right from the very beginning. I mean, because you're going you're to tell somebody, before the Gospel of John is written, uh, John and, and the other apostles are going to tell us, hey, did you know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me? They would have told each other that, and the Holy Spirit would have brought it to their mind right from the very beginning. We know that this is, these are Christ's words. But they would have written it down, but they tried to hide the Bible, their Bibles, their scriptures from the persecuting authorities, and with good reason. I mean, just think about it. I mean, you know, we, we hear a lot of this now, and we have this cancel culture in our, our things today, and this ridiculous thing. Like last year, remember, Dr. Seuss is so evil and stuff like this. You know, so, so uh, you know, they can, they can pride my Dr. Seuss when they can take my fingers, my cold, dead fingers off the book, right? You know, so it's a, um, but the other books, you know, that I treasure, I mean, we think about, you know, for example, communist countries and stuff like this, how they hid away. Um, there's a marvelous story. Rod Dreher does a lot of work on this about the church in, in Czechoslovakia before the fall of communism, how they had underground printing presses and they ran whole underground universities to keep alive the faith and to propagate, you know, democratic ideals, but, but more, most importantly, to, to keep the faith alive you know, in the Roman Catholic Church at, at Czechoslovakia before the communism fell. And of course, the Czechs obviously had a lot of problems because of 68, um, you know, clamped down by the Soviets, et cetera, like this. Okay, um, great questions. By the way, email me. Um, if you have more, call me. Um, and by the way, if I don't explain something well, ask me again, okay? So, um, one thing that occurred to me is that, is that, there's not as much benefit for you if there's no skin in the game, right? I'm giving you homework. You got homework this week, okay? I want you 
to pick one of the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels, the word synoptic is read, seen together because they have a relatively similar pattern, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. If you're really ambitious, go, go Matthew or Luke, obviously. If you want to make sure you get it done, just do Mark, okay? Read it this week. One of the synoptic gospels. We need some skin in the game, okay? Um, now, now, this is wintertime, and we're cooped up. It's a marvelous thing. I don't know if you've done this with many books of the Bible. Reading a book of the Bible in one sitting, okay? Now, certainly, I learned this very early on. Reading the Gospel of Matthew 1 through 28, the way you would read, you know, a, a Stephen King book. Maybe not quite the way you pay, pay closer to it. But do you see my point? You know, what is wrong with reading 28 chapters? By the way, that's how they would have been heard. There's no chapter divisions. They would have heard these books in their entirety. Um, now, I, I, I confess that one time I, I tried this with the book of Isaiah. I, I made it all the way, almost all the way through, but then I was in my office and got through like 61 chapters and somebody called me or something, so I didn't get through all 66 in one setting. But it is a marvelous thing to read a book and you just, wow, because it all, because you, you start to see the book as a whole as opposed to just, you know, individual things called pericopes that you hear on Sunday morning, you know, where we, where to an extent we're divorcing these, these, these seven verses from the entirety of the book. Okay, so, so read one of the Synoptic Gospels. Why? Because right now I'd like to go over um, some thoughts about the, each of these, these the, the Synoptic Gospels as a whole. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are, are different from each other. They are not the same Gospel. <clears throat> and by the way, this is, you know, those who doubt Scripture want to have something called Q. Q. What's in Q? I have no idea. Have we ever found Q? No? I think we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In other words, Matthew was not, you know, borrowing from Mark as long, borrowing from Q, and you know, it's just ridiculous. No, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? But they're, they, are, they, they are relatively similar, but there's going to be some differences. But we're going to talk about the relative similarity right, right now. They share a similar, simple outline. Okay, so these are the elements in common with these three synoptic gospels. And this is meant, so as you do your homework this week, this will be helpful uh, for you. Number one, Jesus is, you, and, and by the way, my outline is truncated. You, you have the ministry of John the Baptist, and then Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. Now, the ministry of John the Baptist is very important. He's a, he's a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And Jesus comes to be baptized by him. And then immediately following, Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Okay? Now, um, Mark does not list the three temptations, just has this simple, that Jesus was tempted by Satan. But, but that's, uh, Mark is the shores of the gospel. So Jesus preaches the kingdom of God is at hand and does miracles in Galilee. In the, the Gospel of Matthew, it's the kingdom of heaven, but it's the kingdom. But Mark and Luke is, is called the kingdom of God. Okay, and it does miracles in Galilee. Why do I underline and bold Galilee? Is that the nature of the synoptic gospel is the ministry is done up in Galilee? Jesus does go to Jerusalem to die and to rise. But the ministry is done in Galilee. 
which is strange and foreign because why would the Son of God, the incarnate Word, want to do his ministry in Galilee, right? You know, there's a, there's a since I'm from Georgia, there was this uh, uh, translation in the New Testament of the, gospel, of the Gospels for, that put Jesus in the state of Georgia. So Jesus is Jesus of Valdosta. You know, and so if you know anything about the geography of Georgia, it's upside down because Atlanta would be Jerusalem's Jesus of Valdosta. I, I, I think that's incorrect. I mean, it should be Jesus of Adel. You know, you know where Adel is, right? I had a neighbor from Adel when I was growing up. It's halfway between Tifton and Valdosta. Of course, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, you know. So, um, so kind of like uh, my, my grandmother, after my grandfather died, near Yorkville, moved to Lisbon, right? Everyone knows where Lisbon is, right? Three Stone Town. Some people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Helmer, yeah. Yeah, obviously, the, uh, but Lisbon is Three Stone, you know, town. One, two, three, and you threw the town by throwing the stone three times. So that's, that's pretty much Nazareth. So, but Jesus is doing his ministry. He's preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's right here, and he is the kingdom of God, both the, the kingdom of God in the person, but also bringing it about where he is doing his reigning not just the static kingdom, but he is reigning. Okay, so he will teach using parables so the meaning is hid from all but his disciples. The parables are a little bit difficult to handle. Generally speaking, if you, in today's Old Testament lesson, hearing they, they, hearing they may not hear and seeing they may not see. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, the disciples ask him, why do you speak in parable? So that hearing they would not hear and, and seeing they would not see. But the disciples, to them is revealed, and to you is revealed the kingdom of God in these parables because we have ears to hear. Praise God for that. Okay, he brings about the kingdom of God, showing power over sickness, death, demons, and the fallen creation. Miracles preview the coming age. They are not a sign that God is going to bring heaven on earth. In other words, if I pray hard, hard enough, I'm not going to get cancer. I'm going to be very wealthy and stuff like this. I heard one of these TV preachers say, God's best for you is not salvation of Jesus. God's best is that you be healthy and wealthy right now. So you pray for your miracle today. And I want to just jump and I, and I, I would have broken the fifth commandment easily if I got a hold of that guy. You know, this, this is so wrong. This is so wrong. Jesus' miracles are not indicative that, that we're living in the miracle age because people's lives expectancy they were rare back then but they're showing what god is bringing about in christ and that at the end there will be no more harm from the sea no more disease no more demons to to possess us no more death even because jesus wins the victory okay um he calls disciples who carry on his mission after the resurrection very very important by the way there's also then going to be a rising sense of conflict. For example, you can find early in the Gospel of Mark already that the Pharisees want to kill Jesus. So his ministry is always done in the, in the area of conflict because the world will always oppose the kingdom of God. Okay, and I left that point out. It's very important. So he is confessed as Christ by Peter. Remember, the, they go up as far away from Jerusalem as possible. Caesarea Philippi, which is way north, you know, uh, almost to Syria. And he asks, who do the people say that I am? Wide variety of answers. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. Okay, very good, Peter. But then he predicts his death and resurrection. And of course, we know in Matthew and Mark, Peter doesn't want to hear it. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Um, but, but the crucifixion and resurrection 
are key to understanding all four of the Gospels, but especially the Synoptic Gospels. He is transfigured and speaks with Moses and Elijah while being with Peter, James, and John. Um, why Moses and Elijah? Because they're the two that met God himself on Mount Sinai. And Jesus, remember in John 8, 58, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is the God of the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. Um, he predicts his crucifixion resurrection two more times, and, and it's hard to, and he's going to Jerusalem to die and to rise. Um, by the way, his death and resurrection are the key to understanding. You know, if you do a statistical analysis, in other words, verse numbers, you'll find all four of the Gospels have tons and tons of information related to um, Holy Week, the, the, the events preceding Holy Week, his death, his resurrection, as opposed to just, you know, we know nothing, hardly anything about Jesus, zero to 30. And, and even the early part of his Galilean ministry, you don't know a ton of until those events, which at fulcrum point, because now he's going to go to Jerusalem to die. Okay. Uh, he rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as a king. He cleanses the temple that week. He, he is confronted in the temple, the theme of conflict, and he teaches in the temple. He has his last supper with the disciples on Passover and gives the Lord's Supper to his disciples and to the church. He's betrayed, tried, suffers, and is crucified. He is buried. Okay, and so... Um, he rises from the dead on Easter and appears to his disciples, excepting there's no personal appearance in the Gospel of Mark. And that's a whole other question, the ending of Mark, um, having to do with manuscript evidence, but we won't cover that today. You have your homework, so take this and see if this little help as you read through the, that synoptic Gospel, whatever one you choose. I didn't say you had to choose one, one in particular, because the object is not to turn this into a, to a, to a lesson, because Pastor has been doing the Gospel of Luke but just to help have you see kind of a general what's going on in all three of these Gospels, but each one of them will be very unique um, from, from this general outline. Okay, it's uh, 46 after. Are there any questions or comments right now? So, so again, I'm going to talk next week more about the Synoptic Gospels and talk about the Gospel of John, but I do want to, um, in conjunction when we talk about the background of the book of Acts, talk about this religious background, this pagan background that, that the early Christians lived in. And you're going to find some differences from the year 2022, but you're going to find a lot of similarities as far as what's going wrong. But that leads me to the biggest similarity, what goes right. Christ has died for your sins. He's risen and you are his baptized people. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Amen. God bless you.